Let me introduce myself. My name's Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors. I say that, and I know there's, most of you in the room know that, but some don't, and some online don't. And, and uh, just a number of people visiting, you know, January people visiting and stepping out maybe for the first time with COVID. And so that's why I want to introduce myself. And I also want to say, you know, I'm one of the teaching pastors. I serve alongside Rob Sweet, who's our lead pastor and a teaching pastor. And uh, if you're a guest, please know that we, we rotate because we believe in a plurality in, in all areas of ministry, in, in particular, maybe I say most emphatically in the pulpit. Um, so next week, you know, Rob would be teaching and then, and then the next week I would be teaching because we go between our Brentwood campus and our Franklin campus. And really what that does is it puts the focus not on a teacher, on a personality or even a gifting, but on this word and what God has spoken. And, and that's where we want our affection and our attention to be. Now with that, open your Bibles, please, to Philippians. We're studying through this book. We're in Philippians chapter four now. I'm gonna be covering verses eight and nine, just two verses this morning. And the reason it's just two verses is it's, it's, the, it's the conclusion of a section that Rob picked up last week and covered in chapter four, verses two, through seven. Now, I always do this, you know, preparing to teach. When we're teaching through books of the Bible, we teach that way so that every message is within its context. And so what I'm going to say today is connected to what Rob said last week, connected to what I taught the week before, et cetera, and connected to what will come. It's always within its context. So I always watch the message so I know, you know, how, how Rob taught it, and then I pick up on that. And may I say this, and Rob Rob's one of my favorite teachers on the planet, period. And I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying that he is. And I watched that message. And uh, he's, he took this passage that, that can be a difficult passage in, in, in many ways because it's the go-to passage on anxiety. But he taught it in, in, in such a compelling, and then this, and they match it with this, honest way. He taught it in such a way that I go, I, I can relate to you, buddy, you know, in terms of how, what this passage means and, and how we apply it uh, to our lives. That passage he taught last week, the core of it was four, six, and seven. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension or all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What, a, what an amazing prayer and, and promise buried within the prayer. But Rob said this, and I would suggest this is true for most of us. It certainly is for me. I've prayed that prayer before many times and not experienced the peace of God. I mean, what's, what's missing? What, what's going on? Well, one of the things Rob taught us is, you know, the prayer is not a peace pill, you know, it's like aspirin you take, get rid of the headaches. Like, if you just pray this prayer, swallow it, peace overwhelms. No, that's not what it is. It's also not a formula. You know, oftentimes we, we pray this way and, and we go, I don't have the peace of God. Oh, oh I forgot the Thanksgiving. I, I didn't pray enough that, you know, you think that way. No, that's not what this prayer, nor how this prayer is intended to be used at all. Uh, it's essential for the peace of God to pray in, in this manner um, but it's, uh, it's not enough. There's more. And part of that more that, that, that Rob talked about is the first, the, the five words that priests, if this is the prayer, there's five words that precede it 
the Lord is near. And those words have to be connected to that prayer. Does that make sense? So you can't just pray the prayer in isolation. No, you gotta keep the Lord is near connected to this prayer. What I'm gonna suggest this morning as we pick up these last two verses is we're gonna see not only is that, not only does that need to be connected to the prayer, but there's some stuff on this side as well. In other words, there's more that must encompass this prayer if we are to experience the peace of God. What are those things? Well, that's the answers we find in our text today. We're in four, eight to nine. Now, it's, it's part of a larger text that Rob covered. So I'm gonna read this. I'm gonna pick up what Will read, but start with me in verse five. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, here's our two verses. Finally, brothers, brothers and sisters, family of God, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. There's two commands here in these two verses and those two commands will be the the, the outline for our text. We're gonna talk about two things. He commands, think about these things. Then he says, practice these things. We're gonna take the think about first, that's verse eight. And I want you to know, I'm not gonna say anything in these next few moments that you don't already know just by reading the verse. What I mean by that is, whatever translation you're reading, they've all done a really good job of translating the Greek into an English word that most of us understand, like we know what it means. Whatever is true, uh, that, that would be that which corresponds to reality, that which is not a lie or that which is not false. That's what he's talking about. Whatever is honorable. So when you think of what's honorable, it's what, what do you see or experience that, that moves within you that calls out honor? I want That's honorable. I, I thought of childhood memory of being at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Then I thought of another DC monument, the, the Vietnam Memorial, where, I mean, if you stand there and, and you see that, you know, those things, it's like you stand there and, and you go, I will honor that. What that represents is honorable and I will honor it. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, your translation may say whatever is right, spot on. It's the right thing. It's doing the right thing. It's being the right thing. It's the scales are balanced. It's that's the right thing to do, whatever is right. Whatever is pure, this Greek root word is the same root word for holy, So it's whatever is without sin, whatever is not tainted or dirty or corrupt, whatever is 
whatever is appropriate to be in the presence of God. That eliminates 99% of my thoughts many times, doesn't it? Is that thought appropriate for the presence of God? Whatever is lovely, this is the idea. I, I think you can get it if I say this. Whatever makes you smile with delight. So when you see something, you just go, you smile. It calls out the love. It's lovely. It's beautiful. Uh, whatever is commendable, uh, your translation may say whatever's admirable. Yeah, that would be what's, <clears throat> what's something that's well spoken of. By, like everyone speaks well of, of that thing, that person. That's commendable, admirable. <clears throat> and then two summary virtues. Uh, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, whatever reflects these values, the, ex, the word excellence there carries a, of the highest moral character. And then worthy of praise is worthy of praise, worthy of being worshiped, praised. Now, it's, it's worth noting, it's whatever is, if there is any. And the reason I want you to see that is, Paul in, in this statement is, is not saying, I'm gonna say it in some weird ways, but he's not saying, you know, only things that you think about in church, uh, only things you see in the Bible. He's not saying only, he said, whatever. He said, if anything. In other words, he's opening our eyes in a very real sense to take in the glory and the goodness of all God's creation, all that is true, all that is honorable, all that is lovely. And we don't, we, we, we often don't do that. It's probably best thought of with, you know, the very familiar phrase, take time to smell the roses. How, you, you did not get from your home to your seat without seeing things that should just explode your head when, if you stopped and looked at the sun. If, if you just paid attention to the trees, you know, if you saw a deer run across, whatever, if you look at your spouse, if you look at your child, you just see what I'm saying? Whatever is true, take it in, appreciate God's beauty and loveliness and truth in all of his creation. I thought about, I thought about this because I just finished a book. You know, I, I love to read. And um, have you read a sentence lately that just took your breath away? That's what I'm talking about. A, 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 the structure of the sentence that you just go, that, how did that person write that? That is to take that in. Now, it, it, the, the command is think about these things. This is a command. Uh, think about, English two words, is one Greek word. M.T. Matyer has a wonderful definition that I will use Think about the Greek word, it means to ponder, to give proper weight and value to, and allowing the resultant appraisal to influence the way life is to be lived. 
There's two parts to that I don't want you to miss. Think about means to ponder, to give proper weight and value and to allow the resultant appraisal to influence the way life is to be lived. In other words, this is not a fleeting thought, you all. This is a thinking that shapes the choices you make in life. It's a thinking that doesn't remain cerebral, but that shapes what you say and then what you do. Think about in the present tense. And so he's saying nothing less than, you know, you need to keep your mind, you need to ponder and ruminate on these things all the time, always. Uh, our daughter, S- Sally, our youngest, is a, is a junior in college. She's, she, her major, she's in educate, the School of Education at UT Knoxville, and one of her majors is psychology, and, and I forget what the other one is, but she's taking a winter class. You know, they, they get a long break up there, a lot of these colleges, and so she's, she's ta- been taking a class that she's probably wrapping up soon. And the class is, it, it, the class is on mindfulness. And, and many of you would be familiar, mindfulness being that, being aware of what you're thinking and feeling without being overcome by it. It's just mindfulness. Uh, it's big business. So I said, Sally, because she's telling me all about stuff she's having to watch and learn. I said, send me some of the links on the stuff that you were, you know, the, 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 the resources on, on your class. And she, she, she sent me some. And this is from the Atlantic Magazine. Over the last 30 years, there's been this tremendous volume of research, academic research, scientific research, that's been really quantified. This is, he's, he was asked this question and he's responding. That's been really quantifying the effects of mindfulness. And we can now see it actually changes the structure of the brain. It actually improves our immune system in ways we can verifiably measure. You know, the insurance company Aetna, uh, he quotes, this is the quote, Aetna estimates that since instituting its mindfulness program, it has saved about 2,000 per employee in healthcare costs and gained about $3,000 per employee in productivity. My thinking is, you know, is big business. It affects the bottom line. What psychologists, sociologists, and businesses are discovering, may I say this, and I'm not throwing them under the bus, I'm just going, this is a reality for those who who know Christ or Christ followers. Listen, what what I just read and what they're discovering, listen, it's what the Bible says. It's what the Bible has taught always. Just one verse, Romans 12, one and two, this is out of the New Living Translation. It, it, it helps us grasp the meaning. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, of your thinking. Uh, I I read a fascinating article in the December issue of the New Yorker magazine 
Um, and the title of the article was Headspace, Headspace. And fascinating that I would hit it on this particular text, In God's Providence. So the, the article is about uh, research they're doing on thoughts. Like, you know, this is, this is like woo, way over my head, but like, what is a thought? Like, what, what is it? And, and, you know, what they want, the way they want to measure it is they want to measure the brain. And now they have tools, an fMRI machine. You've seen this stuff. They can scan the brain. And, and so they can watch different parts of the brain light up, you know, based on what you're thinking. It's like, I, 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 this is not science fiction. It's like they can see the thought in the brain. And so there was some, some research had already been done where they noticed that when when, when a patient was asked to think about walking around your home, part of the prefrontal cortex, let's just say, would light up. So when you're thinking about, you're, just, you're not saying a word, but you're just thinking about walking around your house, deek, deek, this is lighting up. So they go, okay, we can, we can have someone think something, we can see it. These two researchers were very interested in patients who'd been locked up, i.e. in comas, who were unconscious, unable to communicate. And the question was, are they, can they, communicate. And they said, well, maybe they can communicate by thought. What if we could read their thoughts? So they already know if, if a human being thinks about walking around their home, this part of the brain lights up. So we'll say, okay, walking around, if you're thinking about walking around your home, the answer is no. They had to come up with another question for yes. And they, they found out if you think about playing tennis, how this stuff works, I have no idea a different part of the brain lights up. So patient number 23, a young man, five years in a coma, motorcycle accident, nonverbal, no squeezing of the hand, no blinking the eyes. They said, okay, we're gonna set this test up. So they hook him up to the fMRI machine and they begin to ask him yes and no questions. They tell him, they're just speaking to this body basically. Um, we want you, if, if the answer is yes, think about <clears throat> walking around your home. If the answer is no, we just want you to think about playing tennis. Is your father's name Thomas? Oh, that's yes. He's thinking about walking around his house. Is, is your father's name John? Well, he just said no. He didn't miss a yes or no question. Y'all, <laughs> they, could read, they could read his thought. Carolyn Leaf, Dr. Carolyn Leaf says in her book, Switch on Your Brain, as we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. When you think, you build thoughts and these become physical substances in your brain. Now, if what I just, if you, what, what you just, if you heard what I just said, your thought becomes physical substance in your brain. When you work and lift out, work and lift weights, it shows up because you get more muscle mass. Here's what re scientists are discovering. Your thinking rewires and shapes your brain. 
And you go, Lloyd, I, I don't believe the scientists were. Why don't you believe them? I mean, it's, you know, why, don't be afraid of science. You understand every scientist and every research project they do, they're just uncovering the wonders of God's creation of, of, of human beings made in the image of God and going, this is, seems to be how this stuff works. It's amazing. God said to be transformed, it's not run, it wasn't lift weights. It's your thinking, it's my thinking, my thoughts. Now, understood in our context, we're in this context, this passage, Paul's saying nothing less than this. Whatever we think about, okay, is inseparable from our peace. And you go, Lord, you had to go through all that to tell me that? Well, Paul's making the point. Whatever we think about, so you can pray this prayer and go, you know, I prayed it just like you said to pray it, Paul, where's the peace? We have to go, oh, well, what are, what are your, what's your thought life? What are you filling your mind with? Think about this, and I, I think we all grasp this. There is no peace of God when our mind is filled with that which is false, dishonorable, unjust, filthy, not commendable. Do you see what I'm saying? There's no peace of God in the heart of the follower of Christ when our thoughts are such. Think about these things. That's the first part, verse nine. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I've always loved how this passage goes from the peace of God to the God of peace. Do you see that? Wait, what's the difference? Well, the peace of God is that which, which God brings us, but, but do you notice that there's something else? There's the God of peace. God himself, you experience. Learned and received, that would be what we're doing right now. He's teaching us, we're learning what he wrote and you know, they, they've got the letter itself that he's saying, what you've learned and received, received would be that which is church tradition. You know, a lot of the church teachings it, to, for them, you know, they, they have this one letter. They didn't have the whole, they didn't have all the New Testament. Had, some of it hadn't been written yet. It was all verbal and oral. So he's saying also the stuff you've been handed down from others, you know, Christian tradition, learned and received. And then he says, and that which you've heard and seen. Paul spent weeks, perhaps months with them when he planted the church. And so y'all, they, they walked enough with Paul. They watched him be mistreated. Well, how, did you remember how Paul responded when he was mistreated? He's telling us to do what, do you remember what Paul said to that person who spit in his face and slapped him? We should do what he did. Do you remember how Paul handled us and spoke to us and treated us? You remember how he worked so hard to pay for his, see what I'm saying? He lived with them enough. And so he says, look, what, you, what, you've, what you've learned and, and received, what you've seen and heard, it's nothing less for us than to say what Paul has written, his letters, and nothing less than what God has revealed, what, what he's revealed here in his word, practice it. I'll get it real point blank. Do it, 
do what it says. This is what he's speaking of here. When you think about the peace of God, Rob said this, I've said it many times. We'll, We'll always say it because the Bible speaks so much of the peace of God. It's not the absence of conflict. You know, finally, the peace of God, everything's great. All the kids are doing well. Everyone's good. Nothing's wrong. You will never experience that this side of heaven. You'll never experience a time when everything's great and nothing's wrong. You won't. Not in a fallen world, in a fallen body. So the peace of God is not the absence of conflict or hardship or difficulty. Certainly, a better word, and Rob mentioned this, a better word is wholeness. It's, It's everything as God intends it to be. We can experience that wholeness in the midst of brokenness. And may I say this, you will never experience the fullness of the peace of God this this side of heaven. That's not to say it's not real and full and gives us hope, but listen, you're in a fallen body, you're in a fallen world, and it is not until Christ returns and sets all things right that he establishes the peace that is perfect and full and, 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 and you know, without sin. <laughs> but, as a, but we can in these moments and in a life that is broken and there's always gonna be something wrong, we can experience the wholeness of the gospel and the wholeness of Jesus. We can experience that genuinely, genuinely and truly right now. I'm gonna draw this for you and then take us to our application. I want you to see it in this way, perhaps. And if you don't get anything, the message, get this, what I'm, what I'm about to do here. There is our praying by which We experience the peace of God. But as I said, there's the praying, but Paul says there is also thinking. So there's the praying, but it's also think on these things. So these praying and thinking must stay together. But then there's that third thing. This is is where I drop the ball often, this is where I think many of us do. Paul says there's just, it's not just praying and thinking. He says, you understand there is the doing. Practice these things. There, and you experience the God of peace. Now notice Peace of God, God of peace. See, this is all, this is all one thought, right? Peace of God, God of peace. The God of peace will be with you. And, and I, I, hope, I hope you go, wait, 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 Lloyd. God's always with me. And I would say, yes, I'm glad you're thinking that way. Because if you've placed your, you've placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, you understand the Bible tells us, and we read it in Philippians, especially Paul's letters, you are in Christ Jesus. You are in him, and he is in you. You know, when Paul says Christ lives in me, understand the Holy Spirit 
lives in you. And that is the very presence of Christ in you such that Paul could say, Christ lives in me. Well, let me tell you something. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, okay? But Christ is in you by the person of the Holy Spirit. So Paul could say, Christ is in me. So you go, well, wait, why do I need to do this so that, so that God will be with me? He's already with me. Yes. While that's true, we go through this life and we don't experience the peace of God. Oh, it's always true and God's always with you. But how many of us struggle in it with anxiety and in times of trouble, we, we don't experience the peace of God. Why? I wanna suggest, I can't be dogmatic on this, okay? I don't wanna be dogmatic like it's always this way. But it seems many times, if not most times, the peace of God we long for, we're here. We long for the peace of God. The peace of God we long for is often on the other side of our obedience. Are you with me on this? Like we long for the, oh, the peace of God, but, but we're over here and we've not taken the step of faith. We've not obeyed what we know God is inviting us to trust him for. We not obeyed his command. And so oftentimes we say here, and boy, I, I, I'm gonna do it when, the peace of, when I get the peace of God. And again, I'm not being dogmatic on this, but in my own experience, and I would say many times, you're waiting for a peace that you won't feel. I, if I can say that, you won't experience it until you take the step of faith, i.e. until you do what he says to do. And so the diagram's drawn this way to say this. In the praying and right thinking and doing, listen, here's where you experience the peace of God and the God of peace which takes us to our invitation to joy. I'm gonna leave that up. You can see this because I want you to look at it. Now, I don't know if this is where you are, but I'm just gonna point us in this direction. I don't know what your application is to what we've just studied. It's so varied and multiple but the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you need to do. Not keep thinking about, not postpone. I don't know what it is, but I trust the Spirit will tell you. You've had this thought, it's like, I need to take that step of obedience. I need to do. What I've been put, I, I need to do what God calls me to do. I'm gonna give you a moment and I want you to trust the spirit to tell you. <laughs> and if it's just a whisper, that's all you need. Take the step of faith. It might happen in this room. It might happen when you walk out this door. It might be in the coming weeks or months, but take the step of faith. Would you do that now? The Bible, we don't study this Bible just to get to know it. And just knowing it doesn't change us. 
It's the application of truth that transforms us. Yes, renew the mind. And when the mind's renewed, do what the renewed mind is inviting us to do. Take a moment. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up here as we conclude. And that'll give you some time to consider your application. Let me invite you, would you please take the table elements? If you didn't get one when you came in, you know, if you have placed your faith in Christ, we invite you to, he invites you to his table and we invite you to do it with us. And you can slip out the back doors. People do this all, every service, you know, slip out, grab it. If you need to do that, just slip out there and grab one. But go ahead and take the, the top off so you have the bread in one hand and then the top off of the cup so you have the juice in the others, we come to this table. I love, I love, I'm grateful that the team has so set our liturgy, our organization around worship to include the table on a weekly basis that, that uh, we, we sing, we pray, we submit ourselves to this word. And we come to this ordinance or this command that Christ gave to celebrate this table. And this is, you know, if, if all you've been dealing with this morning is thoughts in the air, well, listen, you're holding bread in your hand now. You're holding a cup, you're holding a cup, both representations symbolic of, of what matters most. See, every time we come to the table, we're coming to Jesus. How appropriate as you hold this bread and cup symbolic of, of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, that we study this passage that calls us to think on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If, any, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, may I say, can, can we see and acknowledge that Jesus is all of those, ultimate and whole and without flaw. He's true. He's honorable. He's just, he's pure without sin, lovely, commendable, excellent and worthy of praise. Lord Jesus, true and honorable son of God, we come to your table. 
because you suffered and died in our place. You chose to accept what was untrue, false accusations. You took the dishonor, the wrong, the filth of our fallenness. You took it upon yourself. You became it, Paul says, bearing upon yourself the very fruit of our sin, which is death and separation from the Father. For your body given, broken in such a way, Jesus, we remember it and we thank you. Take and eat the bread. Thank you, Jesus, for living the life we could not. Thank you for a life of perfect obedience, a mind that never sinned. Thank you for choosing to allow sin to break your body. Thank you for your great love in which you poured out your blood, your life, you were separated from the Father so that we might never be in you. For taking the death we earned and deserved. We give thanks and we remember, take and receive the cup.